For our two-year anniversary, Broken Boxes podcast is honored to begin a series of interviews with artists involved in Hashtag Call Response. This multifaceted project brings together five site-specific art commissions that invite collaboration with individuals, communities, lands, and institutions. This socially engaged project focuses on the act of doing through performative actions, highlighting the responsibility of voice and necessity of communal dialogue practiced by Indigenous peoples. Hashtag call response is led by Tara Hogue, Maria Hupfield, and Tanya Willard, who, in this episode, will introduce us to the project and lead us into a series of conversations with the artists involved, which will run through August 2016. Thank you for tuning in to Broken Boxes podcast, and thank you to all the artists who have shared their stories so far. I am truly grateful. a visual artist. I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm a member of Wet'suwet'en First Nation. I'm Anishinaabe, and I'm really excited about hashtag call response. I'm really, really um, super into this. I guess what I could say is, you know, I, I grew up in the bush. I grew up in the woods. My dad had a wood shop that was called Lost in the Woods Boatworks. So that could give you an idea of how I, you know, was always down the dirt road. And now, because of where I live in Brooklyn, um, I guess you could say I really think a lot about people. You know, I love being around people. And so in my, perform- in my work, I do performance and I like this idea of artwork is not something that happens on its own, that we need other people, whether it's making it or that other people have to see it. So there's the intention behind it. And with call response, that's sort of at the heart of it for me. It's about people. It's about engagement, connecting, and also about our women, our Native women um, in the visual arts. There's so, you know, the history of art is so compromised. But if I think back to growing up, my first day of school, I started, and it was this little, small, one-room schoolhouse. And on one side of the wall was Queen Elizabeth. And on the other side was the chief of our band, who was a woman. So we had these two on both sides. And I think that really speaks to how things just get done. And wanting to really shed some light on that as action and doing things. Yeah. That's really, that's about it, or where I start, the starting point for me. Thank you, Maria. Tanya? White, Kofaitip, Squash Tanya Willard. My name is Tanya Willard. I'm from the Shaquatmuk Nation, although I'm also part like Euro-Canadian for a couple generations. So um, I think that I've always positioned acknowledging my Shaquatmuk heritage because when I grew up, I grew up I think many people had this reality that that it was 
more convenient to not acknowledge your um, Aboriginal heritage, that doing so made all kinds of um, problematic uh, relationships or socialization. So later, um, that I just so for me, it was it's really important to acknowledge my Sokotmuk background and to say that's part of who I am. I'm a whole person. I'm not half a person. You know, all those kinds of dimensions to identity. Uh, I live and work in my home reserve community. I haven't lived here uh, growing up, but I moved back after 10 years or so in Vancouver and working with a lot of great contemporary artists and in community. I used to work with the Aboriginal media project, youth media project, uh, which was really important to some of the ideas I went on to you know, work through as an artist and curator. I work as an artist and a curator, uh, sometimes a graphic designer. Uh, you know, generally a creative professional who is also trying to have a family and <laughs> and uh, live in a small community, so a, a number of things. I started working through a project called Bush Gallery, which is uh, I locate on my reserve. I had been wrestling with ideas of how I felt dislocated, that I was working within contemporary art, um, you know, and sometimes traveling. I had had some great opportunities to work on a number of projects. They took me out into cities uh, you know, to work through gallery systems, that kind of thing. And I just felt like, where is it here at home? Like, there's ways that people are making art, and it's not shown in galleries. So like more um, skills-based production. So whether that's basketry or weaving or different things, and how do I connect with that, but still have a voice and keep a part of contemporary art. And so this idea of um, Bush Gallery sort of brought those things together. And I host a small residency and I see call response as a way that I can be sort of a holistic person involved in, in the project uh, like this for hashtag call response that has to do with reconciliation. I think a really expansive and holistic view is really important to the project. We've talked ongoing about how uh, our sort of process and our, you know, who we're engaging with, our communities, our wider audiences, that kind of thing, are as central to the project as the final final output or the final works, which will be shown in a gallery in October at Grunt Gallery. Uh, and so I think that kind of process I was really excited about because it allows me to be an artist, a curator in the sense of this project, actually, um, both, uh, um, you know, a mom, <laughs> a woman, you know, and it, it allows me to kind of not have to compartmentalize what I'm doing uh, to suit, you know, a certain project or a certain space. I think it's this this kind of uh, meeting place that we're coming to that allows us, I feel in the project, allows me to be a really complete person and have this, um, both the influence and inspiration from other artists' projects, but also some some way to connect that, to, to feel connected, I think is important to the project. Thank you. Tara? My name is Tara Hogue. I'm originally from Red Deer, Alberta, and I'm Dutch, French, and Métis. I was definitely not raised within my Métis culture. My father passed when I was quite young, and uh, he was raised in foster care and within that system. And so I was raised by my Dutch mother and my Dutch aunties and a definitely very matriarchal household that gave me a lot of strong foundations. And I work in Vancouver at the Grunt Gallery. I'm the curatorial resident there, funded by the Canada Council. And over the last two years, I guess, I've been doing a lot of research into Indigenous feminisms and Indigenous resurgence and 
how these things are translated in art practice. And I came to the call response project through this, but also because the Canada Council announced this reconciliation grant initiative, which is a unique program in their funding history because they funded, they paired with two philanthropic organizations to create this program. And so when they sent the proposal out, Glenn Altine, who's the director here at Grant, said, you know, is this a direction to funnel the work that you've been doing toward? And I sort of grounded the work or began the work with Maria and Tanya because their practices both out in public and and out on the land in performance and object making were two sort of really important nodal points for me to think about supporting the work that Indigenous women are doing and how important it is to center that work within the discourse around reconciliation and the action around reconciliation and whether or not you know, we want to use the term reconciliation or not is is a question that is also uh, up for debate in, in this project. But that's really how things got started for me. So Maria, what was the conceptual phase like for you? And um, for for the others, please feel free to chime in. I'm I'm interested in like the beginning dialogue of the process for call and response. Sure. Well, when Tara approached me about this, the potential of doing something together, right away I knew I wanted. If we we're going to do something, I felt very strongly that I wanted to work with all Native women artists. And to use the opportunity to, to cast some light on projects that were already happening, to work with people who were already doing, there's so much good work taking place. Like we have five artists, but by no means does that represent the diversity and range and scope of what's taking place right now with Indigenous peoples and in the communities. And so I felt like there's people doing work that that work's going to happen anyway. It's going on. It's taking place. It's very real. And people are making changes and being affected. And I thought, what if we can just kind of be like, here's a little bit of money, keep doing that. And then we're going to like, you know, bring us all together. So that was something I felt very strongly about. And it came out of two projects that I was doing here in New York or that I did while I'm here. Um, One was with Nancy Marie Mithlow, where she's been doing interventions into the Venice Biennale. And this past spring, she invited me to do a performance in Venice, and it was with three other, so three Native women, led by a Native woman. And there are so many things that came out of that experience that, you know, as someone living outside of her country, but then going to another country, but then being with other Native people, and then thinking about my own nation and my own connection to country, and then this whole history. And then also being layered with one of the other artists, Marcella Ernest, is also Anishinaabe, but she's American Anishinaabe. So I was like working through all of these things with her and connecting through language. So that was something that I felt was a really kind of advantage of sort of being where I am right now that was afforded to me. 
the other project was through an organization in New York called Amarinda, and it's the oldest known nonprofit that works with all different art forms with Indigenous artists who have recognized status in New York. And so they've been doing all this work, and they're always, you know, just trying to get something going. And so last year we had a, a curator, a British curator. We picked the curator, right? British male curator, um, Stephen Hepworth, because we wanted to be seen as artists, right? And it was like, well, we can bring in a Native woman, but we're going to have to bring someone in, into New York, who may not know the situation and what we're dealing with. So how can we kind of take our skills and then push those to another kind of level. And I think that's something with my own art practice. A lot of the projects, there's something to be gained through the process. So that particular exhibition ended up being called How to, How to Catch Eel and Grow Corn. And we just got the catalogs now. So we got this great little catalog. You can get it from Amarinda. And I thought going in, it would be the easiest thing to do. Five Native women happen to be living in New York right now. Intergenerational. This should be a piece of cake. Piece of cake. Easiest show to put together. And then we sweated through that show so many times because of the history, the leg, you know, this legacy that's on everyone's shoulders, the diversity of our practices. So all of those things kind of came together. I mean, I mean, those weren't the only things that I was doing at that time, but those were the two that most impacted me when thinking about for this situation at this time, what can we do? And that was hashtag call response, really wanting to connect what people are doing and forge other connections around that, right? So we're not just talking about performance art. Performance art, not everyone sees themselves as a performance artist, necessarily, but it definitely engages with performance form and others and the process and what's kind of acquired through that. So, yeah, wanting to bring things in. So thinking about performance art, community, and then also connecting with other organizations. So we just did sort of a first kind of take of things as part of this unfolding process in Toronto with Monomyths, a partnership with Fado in the Progress Festival. And Ursula Johnson just did her first song to the land, her first iteration and collaboration with Cheryl Lurundel. And that was sort of magic for me to be able to, how often can you have, you know, not just one Native artist, but like, Three, three performance artists who are all women in the same room. It's so, so rare to have these kinds of spaces for discussion amongst ourselves and with others. So um, those are all things that really stuck with me and wanting all women. Because often, you know, even when there's one man, it just takes one man to hijack the, the whole process, right? It'll be his picture in the newspaper. It'll be his quotes that are getting the press. And, you know, Native women, we hold up our men, right? So, you know, we're at fault too. But I, I really wanted each project to kind of have, have space around it and not to overcrowd with, even though there's so many artists, you know, we really wanted to narrow that down. Do either of you, um, Tanya or Tara, have any any insight into what the conceptual phase was like for you? I can speak briefly just in terms of like some more um, mechanics. We had these initial sort of conversations um, through Skype. 
it's always great for me at living in a small center. I live on a small reserve outside a small town. And uh, so any chance to connect with peers is really great. So we had these um, conversations and uh, we had decided we'd, we, we would each sort of like pick an artist who we wanted to, to work with for the project. And so I'm sure later in this conversation, we'll, we'll talk about um, a number of them. Ursula Johnson, I thought would be great um, to work with our project. I had recently curated her work um, at the Calumps Art Gallery through an Aboriginal curatorial residency I was doing. And I had been really interested in her practice and this specific work that I um, created for the exhibition had her uh, weaving a split ash basket around herself, around her own uh, body in the gallery space. But she also does uh, that particular piece in an outdoor locations. And I had thought about her work in, in relationship to this project. And I guess in that work, there's something really evocative for me in the way that she was um, utilizing materials. I had done my own work in basketry uh, in the community where I had worked with a mentor uh, basketry artist and had seen that as this um, scope of Native women's aesthetic practices in it sort of uh, historicized view as well in terms of how women were using that often at a times of transition as well. So, um, you know, women would be selling baskets uh, for some uh, bits of uh, money, but then how that, in a way, because of all that trade, um, a lot of that work is really devalued. Uh, and so I've been thinking about all those ideas and, and they fit uh, really strongly for me with, with the project. I, I mean, immediately when Tara and Maria had, you know, we had had some of those initial conversations, of course, I would want to work with them. I've worked, I've curated Maria's work. I consider her a friend. We have a, a past of connected projects. Uh, Tara as well has curated some of my work. And I loved that we could come together without even, ha like, again, without having to compartmentalize ourselves. Like, okay, I'm coming in as an artist or I'm coming in as a curator. I find that a bit of a difficult thing to separate in my uh, life and work. And so that Tara was open to us coming in as helping to organize and being part of the curating, but also working as an artist was a really powerful invitation for me that I thought, well, here's a space that I can, you know, that I can encompass or think about all these dimensions, less, you know, social engaged practice, you know, being a curator, working as an artist, working in small community or working in different kinds of communities and, and bring all that together under this hashtag call response, which I think also was uh, us talking about, well, here is this venue, the online kind of space, and how do we, you know, access that space in a way that extends the project when some of us are working in areas that might not have. And so it's, it's a kind of a network, there's nodes, there's connections. And I think within that, it's a really expansive way that we can, that we can do our work. And I think that was one of the main uh, initiatives of the project too, is like Maria said, like there's this work happening and we see artists who are uh, doing this work with these themes and ideas. You know, we could probably call it other things too. We had this talk about this idea of reconciliation. I mean, I think we can talk about that in lots of ways, what you know, artists are doing that through different different kinds of parts of their work or different themes or and in just embodying who they are, right, is is an act of of whether we want to say reconciliation. It's an it's an act of just being themselves when we look at a history and a legacy of when we were not supposed to be ourselves is is an act in itself. So I think that we just had a real uh, resonance uh, with each other in working together and bringing ideas. And I, and I see that continuing. And that's why we talked about the process being really important uh, to the project as well, is, is there's a lot of conceptualization just in our conversations. And Tara, do you have anything to add? I came to this project 
after working with Tanya on an exhibition called Witnesses Art in Canada's Indian Residential Schools, which was at the Belkin Art Gallery in Vancouver in 2013. And that was a really formative and intense experience for for myself and I think all, all of the artists that worked on on this project. For one, because it was curated by a team of, of seven people, uh, and I had just graduated from the curatorial studies program at UBC, so I was just coming out of my master's and was offered to work on this project by the director of the, of the gallery, Scott Watson. And so I was the, the youngest member on the team, uh, which was made up of artists and curators and staff that all sort of revolve around UBC Indigenous and non-Indigenous um, scholars. And, and so going into that process as the most junior member of the team was interesting for me because I thought... I thought that I would have far less agency in, in that process than I ended up actually having. So I was undertaking a lot of the, the research of, of artists who we might have wanted to work with. And through the uh, series of presentations that I would give to the team, I ended up having a lot of influence over what direction things took. And so for, for me, that was such an empowering experience. And also really showed me the value of, of working collectively uh, and some of the challenges and, and the ethical considerations uh, when working with such a, a traumatic a traumatic history and traumatic experiences. And so we tried to approach that from a number of different ways within within that project, not only representing, the trauma or pain that people have experienced, but but trying to come at it from from very different ways, so that the the public who's entering that space goes through a number of different experiences. And also, we did a lot of a lot of public outreach and education through through the exhibition. And in a way, the whole university kind of mobilized around this time because it was during the Vancouver event of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission hearings where people were coming and and sharing their stories with the commission. And uh, so there was a, a new sort of public awareness going on around this issue. And so when the when the reconciliation grant was announced through through Canada Council and having already worked with with Tanya it, it felt like a good fit to kind of start with but um, we wanted to take it in a bit of a different in a bit of a different direction because there's been there have been a lot of a lot of projects around uh, reconciliation and and the arts over the past you know five or six years but none of them that have really centered women within within the dialogue although women's voices have played an important role so that that's something that uh that we wanted to focus on with the project Thank you. 
I know that you all have touched on the topic of reconciliation in the introduction to this podcast, but Maria, can you tell me what is your opinion on the current reconciliation movement or initiative that is currently taking place in Canada? And how is the Call Response Project impacted by and possibly impacting this idea of reconciliation? I think the thing about call responses, we don't actually know that it will have, we can't be so presumptuous as to say we'll have any uh, impact on reconciliation. Um, my interest in the project overall is really how do we situate very specific conversations within different nations and regions and nationally? How do we take that conversation and look at it outside of Canada? So I'm, I'm not presently living in Canada. So how do I here in Brooklyn, New York, and, you know, walking down the street, you know, every time I'm constantly reminded about this history of um, colonization, invisibility, there's Native people on the architecture, there's no, you know, especially coming out of such a politically charged moment of Idle No More in Canada and also Black Lives Matter in the U.S. So that's what I'm focused on. I'm focused on how do we position that? And even with my own project here in the city, a lot of this is a process. The whole performance form is formatted within discussions. Often in my performances, so I'll make objects and then I'll activate them and they'll have functions and I'll perform with them multiple times in different ways through various performances. But for call response, objects figure in a little bit, but a lot of the focus is on the conversations and the people and creating space and occupying space. So I, I just did my first kind of like venture into this at Monomyths, uh, which was curated by Shannon Cochran and Jess Dobkins in Toronto, which was really a take on the hero's myth. Right. So Justice Cam Joseph Campbell's monomyth, his epic monomyth, which was very male centric. And so we were situated. Ursula was presenting at the beginning of that narrative at in the ordinary world, the call to adventure. And for that, I'm like, well, in the ordinary world, I'm not going to do a performance about just myself. I'm going to do something very ordinary, which is a discussion. So I'm doing, a I did a performative discussion with Ursula and Cheryl after their four hour performance. So I was a little bit um, adventurous or maybe <laughs> ambitious, which is a better word. But it was fantastic to be able to sit with them and sort of in a, a highly constructed situation. And I say it wasn't just a discussion. It was absolutely a performance in the sense that, yes, everything was considered, but also that in saying it's a performance, there's a lot of freedom that goes with that. So I was able to not be tied down to the structure of a Q&A. And I could have things like, so we had, I brought in, um, had this idea to have an interpreter. So someone who was going to, for the Q&A, if you wanted to get to us with your question, you had to go through our interpreter, right? You had to go. And we had, so we had Rosalie Spence, who's this fantastic, amazing musician, artist, incredible young woman. So people had to go to her with their question and then she would in turn ask us and then we would in turn answer back to her. So everything was kind of mediated. So I guess that's what, in terms of reconciliation, I don't know that that's a strong stance to say, 
And it's definitely a process for me too. I mean, I just, I came back from Toronto thinking, what am I doing with my life? I got to move back to the bush again. I got Indians don't belong in cities. What are we doing? <laughs> All of these things. And then I heard, I heard Wab Ganu do this great interview talking about kindness and rising above. And I'm like, no, no, no this is all right. Yeah, I'm educated artist, trained, got my master's. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I, you know, why are we not in MoMA? Why are we, why is Whitney not, you know, why are they having a show called All About America and Where Are the Native People? Why is there a show at MoMA PS1 on protest? There's no Native Americans. Our history is a site of protest. So it's this constant, like, slap in the face every time you turn around, you know, and then a constant importing of Native people when there's a whole active demographic in New York of artists who are also Native, who brought me here, you know, who really were a big motivator for wanting to be in the city and to think about what that means as Indigenous people. We're not in isolation, we're part of a, a world, a bigger world. We're implicated in that. Our histories are, and we're accountable to that. And our responsibilities are there to acquire knowledge that we need to advance, to not be victims, to not be, you know, to do that, the work, the good work that we need to do. Tanya, do you have any input on your thoughts and opinions regarding reconciliation and what's taking place currently in Canada and how call, call and response can be impacting that possibly or vice versa? Sure. I'm tentative about it in terms of Maria saying like we, we don't know impact. You know, as an artist, I think we go through these back and forth. Like I'm, I'm drawn to and educated about and inspired by artists' work. And I think it gives us a different way to approach this kind of material, which is traumatic, is part of a violent history of colonization in this country, is more than just the residential school system here, has been, you know, modeled and used by different kinds of empire throughout the world and impacts Indigenous peoples everywhere, I think. When we talk about residential schools in Canada, I think we're talking about a wider a wider sense of how imperialism has affected Indigenous peoples and our cultures, identities, governance, economies, all those dimensions. And so I definitely am drawn to how art can have those conversations, but I think I'm also really practical about, so the Truth and Reconciliation um, report happened, there's some great recommendations, but like many other kinds of um, reports and inquiries and big projects, what does it mean legally to the country. There's no legal implication. So yes, we, ha we had a chance to have voices heard. And that, but for people who were providing testimony, who are talking about those experiences, that's hopefully a really healing, you know, moment for them to be able to be heard, to have their story heard. At the same time, I, I worry about a kind of a consumption of trauma, and I worry about creating works where people will want to gravitate towards them because they, they want that sort of, you know, there's a kind of a romanticization that happens in trauma as well, mm -hmm. and, and then pegs it on identity, and then, and then we're stuck in this place instead of being able to go to the, have a show at the moment. And I think as artists and curators and Indigenous creatives that we always have these very difficult 
historical uh, weights and, and baggages and, and then our own family narratives and histories and identities that it can be really difficult to navigate through all that. It's sort of, it's sort of a performance and an act to just navigate through those waters. And so I see this initiative as important. I see just have, having opportunity to have those conversations as important. And then I'm also aware that there's lots of people as part of the day school system, which was um, sort of in existence before residential school, where kids would go back to their homes after being educated. And there's people who don't feel comfortable coming forward. And so there's a whole dimension of people who are not participating, people who disagree you know, fundamentally with the fact that the government could even start to have reconciliation when we don't have anything sort of, you know, legally binding when, you know, in British Columbia, we have a range of diverse and distinct Indigenous languages that, you know, that are only have a few first um, language speakers left. And that residential school was really active in suppressing Indigenous language. And so what does it mean to talk about reconciliation when there's no money you know, I don't, there's some classes and some work that people have been working very diligently around language and culture, but it's not like it's like we can, you know, look in the phone book or walk down the street and pop into the corner, like cultural and language uh, center. You know, there are some places where that's happened and some work that people have done over time to make those things available and to, to have that level of survivance when we talk about that kind of uh, language. I guess, you know, in that, in that whole big soup, like, I don't know what, you know, I know David Garneau talks about this idea of, and Tara, we mentioned this earlier, that reconciliation presupposes there was a time of conciliatory relations. And is that even, you know, is that even accurate? (laughs) And at the same time, I'm a product. I'm a product of, you know, of mixed identities. Like my dad as a a man fell in love with my mom as a, you know, rural living Euro-Canadian. And they both have all these histories, you know, construed in them. And uh, and I exist in some ways (laughs) through that. You know, so I think um, I think that's why we concentrate on process in this project and that the conversations, the conceptualization are as important uh, because we're sort of archiving in some ways how we're navigating through those very difficult places and trying to do so responsibly and carefully. I think trying to recognize and find a source of empowerment from our own places, whether that be a place of culture or a place of education or a place of a city or a place of the bush, like that we're, we're sent that I think we're arriving at it by centering ourselves within who we are and our experiences, and then trying to create connection by dialogue, by calling and responding, you know, that Maria had this uh, interpreter in her program is very much this idea of, of a call and response. So I guess we're, we're calling and we're hoping for a response. <laughs> so hashtag call response. <laughs> and Tara, do you have any thoughts to add on reconciliation and what's happening in Canada right now? Yeah, I mean, Tanya talks, has been talking about, about language. And to me, I sometimes think to myself, oh, this is technical, but I always tend, I tend to start with with etymology. And really, I mean, if you compare it to the the devastating effects of language loss through the residential school system, then, then, then etymology takes on a little bit more of an important, significant role. Mm-hmm. So the etymology of the term reconciliation is connected to the Catholic Church and reconciling a, a sinner with God. 
And so the religious implications and the implications, as Tanya said, of a, of a pre-existing harmonious state, to me, just rings so false that the term reconciliation is really troubling. And David Garneau talks about the idea of creative conciliations within the work that, that he has done as an artist and, and as an instigator. And I kind of like that because it speaks a little bit more toward maybe the potentiality of these conversations between between artists and the public or or thinking about even how we want to define those those terms. You know, are we thinking about the public as as users, as responders, as as witnesses, and how does that differently implicate them within the process? I think people have to choose to to enter into the dialogue. Um, and that is, I think, also in part why for call response, we really focused on going to where Indigenous women are already at. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, what does it mean to for example, reconcile with with the plants and animals. What kind of public is the non the non natural world? And when we think about you know Val Napoleon, who is an indigenous legal scholar at the University of Victoria, she talks about indigenous legal orders and an indigenous legal order compared to thinking about a Western legal system, for example, is something that encompasses a whole worldview, a whole epistemology, and so. Art and aesthetic practice is contained within an indigenous legal order. So what kind I mean, what kind of implications does that have? It's not the same type of legality necessarily that Tanya is is talking about, but it does there is a, a level of accountability and uh, responsibility and reciprocity within within those systems. So I hope that that the and I think knowing the work of the artists that are involved with the project that the various projects are going to to point towards that that level of accountability within their work and I think that we're building off of you know we're building off of precedents and are inspired by things like how Idle No More and Black Lives Matter really took up social media and created conversation between these these disparate places you know, the internet is not a space that is beyond our material reality. It's something that, that is part of the everyday very much. And so, you know, with the, our thinking about art as maybe a tool in this process and the, and the internet then sort of becomes, becomes part of that. So I guess that's kind of moving from reconciliation and far, far beyond. But I just wanted to add to that idea of the media platform that we're also activating through this project as well. And also how that, that can be a site of, um, it's not a, a, you know, I'd say active very deliberately because North America is a large continent. So people are very spread out over a large body of land and so that as a tool and a connecting tool, I think that's really important, but also as a, a form of, as a sort of like living archive that we're kind of past this point of having our histories documented and photographed. And there really is this history of oral tradition where it's about sort of a retelling and embodied and a lived. And I think there's that connection with performance and that that can translate in many different forms to the media of the internet, to the different 
um, and another kind using another fluency of language as well. So I think that's that's super super important. Um, and it, just to touch back quickly too on reconciliation, I think it's very important that we also acknowledge the the resistance to the idea of reconciliation. You know, listening to to Tara talk a little bit about that. I, I'm reminded of Audra Simpson, whose you know active refusal, the the opposition to to the way of asserting your own sovereignty and national identity within the sort of bigger dominant society, um, and keeping intact what you have. That reconciliation, yes, it's sort of this idea of this very religious kind of language, but it's also when you're reconciling, you're asking, well, who am I reconciling with, and what are those terms? in which I'm being asked to reconcile. Um, and one of our artists, Christy Belcourt, did this great little bit on Facebook where she positioned it in an abusive relationship context where she said the government is the abusive other and the natives are the other people and everything is on terms with the abusive other. <laughs> they get the house, they get all of these things. So wow. in that way, there is a lot of opposition against, and rightfully so, towards this idea of reconciling, facing that. And so there's, there's a, you know, a lot of different things are around this project. But in thinking about, you know, really was when I heard Wabgunu talk, wasn't, it took me back even to my own mother, right? Her own kind of like act of kindness of what are we asking to forgive? Mm-hmm. And what type of people do we want to be? We aren't necessarily even if biologically you're not genetically separate from the rest of the country, there's still that there's interrelations. So how do we want, how do we want to step up and, and what does that look like? Mm -hmm. So those types of actions, I don't want to dwell um, in trauma. I, I think it takes a lot of work to be angry, to stay angry. It takes a lot of energy and time to do that. So if you want to think about the type of life, you know, the person you want to be in the world, what's the work that goes with that? What's the good work? mentioned tools and art as tool and the internet as tool. So let's talk about what made you all decide to use art and the internet as the tools to communicate this dialogue, other than the fact that you all are artists and work in the field of art, of course. (laughs) But how do you feel that art specifically is able to be the effective connector surrounding the ideas you all are exploring regarding reconciliation, call response, and everything that we've been talking to up to this point. I mean, I can say I like I don't know if those are the best tools. They're just kind of the main tools in my toolkit. <laughs> you know, like there's some other really important tools. We were earlier talking about like politicians and policy and legal means, and that's just not my area of experience. Um, 
It's not that I think art is necessarily more effective, but I think it's a language that can help us in its kind of non-specific nature that when we talk about policy and we talk about historical events and we talk about legal decisions, I mean, they're highly subjective and interpretive as well. But for me, there's something about coming from like intuition and coming from a place of calling is a funny term to use and it's religious significance as well. But um, <laughs> it's innate in some way. I think the, the desire to work through, to think about, to have those as an influence. I mean, they affect me growing up, my great grandma and great auntie, who were actually really instrumental in a lot of um, Suquamish uh, language, culture and story sharing and teaching. Um, they're also very Catholic and they had a bit of a different uh, experience. So the, the residential experience is also completely not a monolithic thing. She was quite a devout uh, Catholic and had a good experience whatever that whatever that means right like whatever that means to her at the time when she's living under these kinds of systems that that provide there there to be a need to learn english that need to learn to you know read and write in english and interact in a world that is shifting around you and they were able to do that and still hold on to language and culture and teach that but much later in life like even going back to a kid and and feeling like you feel that dynamic I, you know, I felt that dynamic. She would, she'd be watching soap operas and sometimes she would um, say some things here and there in Sukhumak's gene. But even though they acted and worked with, uh, with ethnologists and with uh, language and culture, sometimes they didn't share that within their own family. Hmm. And, and that's all part of that, like, dynamic um, through residential school and through, you know, systemic inequality. And I guess it is very difficult to go to that place of victimhood because when we talk about residential school, it's, we also, you know, it's ingrained with Aboriginal uh, rights and struggle and protest over a long period of time. So, you know, it's back in the late 1800s that residential schools start to be set up after Confederation. And some of the people involved in Confederation are also advocates of the residential school system. And we become wards of the government. And, you know, there, there are all these really practical policy things that happened to place the kind of histories, the kind of narratives we've experienced. So I guess like for myself, that's, that's where I go to. That's the space I can feel like I can express all those disparate elements and that they don't have to make sense. They don't have to be concrete to be, to communicate to somebody else or to be important or to be valued. It doesn't have to be ABCs written on a board. It can, you know, it can be something much more abstract that it could be in the dimension of the spiritual. It could be in the dimension of the aesthetic. It can be in the dimension of kind of something else that I just think there's this kind of uh, juggling or something of the, the concrete and the policy and the, and the practicality. But if you remain there, that's a very, that's a difficult place to exist in. And I think uh, working through creative languages, whether that's performance, art, aesthetic, curatorial, organizing, that gives me a sense of agency and a sense of power in it. And that's why I, I use it. And the internet, you know, gives us a, a tool to increasingly connect. And that's why I use it. Thank you, Tanya. Anybody else have any insight on art as tool for this project or the interweb? I think Tanya talking about intuition for me is, is a really important thing because 
I think about someone like Mohik Mohija, who's who wrote a text called Blood Memory, and in in that text she talks about a recurrence or sort of congealing of of images from her past, you know, stories that she knows in her body but she has never seen before, and how over time mining those organic texts is what, what she calls them, mining those organic texts and trusting that intuitive process to go through things has resulted in her knowing the place that she is within better and understanding her history more. And so there's just this kind of, there's a, there's a kind of way that, that art opens things rather than, than closing them and allows trust in a more intuitive process that other areas of, of life really don't, don't allow, you know, you don't have the luxury when you're, when you're thinking about putting food on your table or something in, a, in another context. I want to add to this idea of um, intuition. I think intuition is super important, but I think intuition is also well served when we have a lot of hard work and a lot of discipline. And I think that um, those are the elements that give you confidence to trust your your intuition that allow you to kind of move forward, to feel like you're equipped, you know what's going on, you feel safe, you can do things. Mm. So there's that. And as, as for the website, the other platform that we're, we're using with our project as well, that's so much about today. So much about Native Americans is in the past. You know, it's in the past. We'll forgive it. We'll forget it. But there's a legacy that goes with that. You know, it's that trauma that comes through that we all feel today that's affecting us. That's putting, you know, it's why there's huge numbers of Native children and social services that, you know, that's continuing to play out. You know, there's why there's huge suicide rates. That's why there's missing and murdered women, like profoundly effective things that are painful and hard and real. And the internet, that's absolutely, like Tanya said, it's a tool of today. It's accessible and it positions us in the now. And it says, you know, yeah, we're not, you know, my partner often says this, you know, Indians aren't or Native Americans, we're not bears on bikes, right? And so that was something, you know, when Tanya Willie asked me to be um, in Beat Nation, absolutely, absolutely, because then we're equating Native Americans with something that's like contemporary culture, hip-hop. There's nothing more contemporary than hip-hop. And so I think that, yeah, that's a very important part of it. Yes, absolutely cultural revitalization, it's important to stay, you know, in touch with where we come from and things from we've known to help and, you know, that that's an important part of this project too, but also where we are at now. So that if we can have now, then, then we can start to look that we have a future, right? If there's children in our lives, we have a future. So, yeah. And I think just, sorry, Maria, that idea of futures is so important because, you know, during the time residential schools are set up, that's the a time of a dominant narrative of the vanishing race, right? right. That's, we're meant to acculturate, assimilate, to become, uh, you know, you have other systems and policies in place where you can sort of become not Native <laughs> through, you know, through processes and policies and schools. And, and so 
in many ways, the kind of architects or the architecture of something like the residential school system is serving that we don't have a future. And so even just this idea of like, of a future is like, is something that gives us uh, so much power to imagine ourselves. And that's where creativity becomes really important. I think the creative peoples in our communities and our lives and our families, wherever they agree, they, they're sort of like able to sort of dream that up, right? Where we might be thinking like, okay, well, I need to do these practical things. It's like, it's art that kind of lets us see through uh, some kinds of ways where we can penetrate and think of the complete kind of flip-flop or reversal or, you know, that we have the liberal, yeah, we have the agency to to sort of do that. Whether it actually works out to be helpful, that, you know, (laughs) that's maybe another question of art, but, uh, but certainly I think it's, it's visioning is a key you know, maybe tool is not even the right word. I don't know, but it gives us agency, I think, in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel the same too. I think, of course, art, absolutely art, and time and time again throughout history, the artists are always there in every different, you know, around the world. That history is there. That art, there's also the freedom that comes with art as well, like another kind of freedom, the freedom to to bring forth so much and, ha- and open those spaces in the making, in the doing of the mm-hmm. work. And I think that the way that this project connects the the social element to the art, you know, it, it's like art is also every day. I know that there's a long history of, of that, that kind of narrative. I think that when we're expanding in, into the social realm through this dialogue, then it becomes a, a becomes a different different kind of tool, right? It it can be can be utilized in different ways and for and for more practical purposes as as well so it carries the sort of range of of possibilities with it i think Let's get into the nuts and bolts about this project. What artists are involved and can you explain how the artists involved are aiming to use art as the connector or catalyst for personal, political and social change in their own communities and elsewhere? Can we talk about what exactly the timeline is for call response and, like I said, the artists involved? Okay, so to state for the record, the five artists that are participating in this project are Christy Belcourt, Maria Hupfield, Ursula Johnson, Tanya Willard, and Laka Look Williamson Bathory. And the performances that happened with Ursula and Maria and Cheryl LaRondell in Toronto in February were, were the first sort of public uh, iteration of the project. And although that was kind of also an additional element, it did really help to start to start catalyzing things in, in, in the public for the project. But uh, things are are ongoing throughout the spring and summer, leading toward the opening at Grant in October. 
Christy Belcourt is already in process with her project, for example. She's working with uh, traditional storyteller Isaac Murdoch, who uh, together they are part of the Onaman Collective, which does a lot of work around language revitalization, uh, storytelling, ceremony with youth in, in their community. And so Christy and Isaac have been going out onto the land to do ceremony in accordance with uh, the seasonal changes. So over the winter, they've been they've been breaking and and thinking about um, starting up again in the spring to to return to the ceremony. And through this process, they they're filming and thinking about reconciliation with plants and animals and, and what does that mean and positioning it in terms of the importance of environment and ecology and land-based knowledges uh, within Indigenous communities and, and their their specific community. And so that will result in a, some sort of video work that will be in, included in the exhibition at Grant in, in October. So the public will have a bit of a different access to that than, say, Ursula's work, uh, which includes a collaborative song, and a durational performance that is also a song that is addressed to the land in recognition of the land and an apology to the land for both what has been perpetrated against the land in the name of resource development and capital, but also against First Nations people from, you know, being removed from the land through the history of colonialism and and residential schools. And so in that project, she uh, creates a a score based on the the topology and geography of the land and very much in dialogue with the the local person that that she's collaborating with. So in Toronto, it it was Cheryl, but in in Vancouver, it will be someone from, from one of the local Salish nations that she looks to work with most likely. And then Lakaluk is a Greenlandic and Inuk artist who's based in Iqaluit. And she is a performer, a Greenlandic mask dancer. And she is involved with a performing arts society that just won a major prize, actually the Arctic Inspiration Prize, um, that uh, works to support performing artists uh, in Iqaluit. And Iqaluit is the only only capital within the provinces and territories that doesn't have a performing arts center in it. So she's doing a lot of a lot of advocacy work around that. And part of her part of her performance will be to do Greenlandic mass dancing and document it for for the exhibition in October. And she's working with a, a group of of performers uh, as as part of her project. But these things are all you know kind of in various states of of development. And part of the part of the project will also be to have each artist invite a respondent Mm. to respond to their work whether that is through dialogue or the creation of a physical object that will be in the gallery Um, and all of these things will will be included in the exhibition in October so maybe I'll leave it sort of at that basic level and then Maria and Tanya can talk a bit more about their projects and fill in anything that that uh, I missed. Great. Um, before we get into the artist's perspective of this project, I wanted to ask you um, 
On a more personal note, as a curator doing a project this big, how has it felt and um, what, what have your personal experiences been organizing something over such a large s- expanse of time and geography? This project has felt to me like such a flowering, such a moment of synchronicity in my own life and the trajectory of my work. And, you know, I've been at, I've been at Grant for a couple of years and have been doing all of this, was doing all of this research and, and being amazed, like Maria was saying earlier, at the wealth of activity that is happening and the amazing artists that are doing such important work. And so when Maria and Tanya and I started talking, it was just all of a sudden that things just really fell into place in this, in this perfect way. And I mean, there is a lot of work to be done and we all recognize that within, within our discussions, but to have a collective and collaborative direction for the project has been so exciting and so enriching. Um, Maria and Tanya are are my mentors. They're my sisters in the project. We support each other in the other various work that we're doing. We're both, we're all working together on other projects at the same time. (laughs) And so this project has just been part of the, part of sort of a trajectory within my own practice as a curator that is focusing on collaborative and reciprocal relationships. So it's really feeding me and nurturing me in in that way. And that's something that I just hope will carry out through the rest of my work. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for sharing that, Tara. And Maria, what is your um, take on this project from the perspective of artist? Well, I'm in a bit of a different position because I'm one of the I'm the only artist who's making work outside of Canada so (laughs) in terms of how I'm defining community and who they are and also thinking geographically of where I am right I'm really in you know the heart of this sort of mainstream commercial international art hub but even situated within that I have so many rich diverse um, communities of people and artists who just feed me regularly, whether they're other Native artists or an active um, community of performance artists who I am constantly looking to and who are pushing me and driving me to be the best sort of person I can be with my work and demanding a, a level, an ex- they have an expectation of what, you know, quality of work. So it's been amazing to have that around me. Uh, so I recognize I'm in a very different place and in a very different place than perhaps I've been at other points in my life. So I've also just had a birthday you know, I turned 41. My son is 14. So, you know, um, there's projects that you take on that have diff- bring different fulfillment in your life. And I think as an artist, there's many different ways that art can do that. And Call Response is one of these projects that touches so closely to lived experience, my own lived experience on so many levels that for my project here, it really is about how to to have those, how do I continue to grow as an artist and bring some of those conversations where I am right now. So 
I've been looking at that, right? Do I, is it a talk show? Is it a panel that, you know, panels that are interventions into institutions? But one of the things that's come out of thinking about it is, you know, in an ideal world, if I can do anything I want, what is that thing that needs to happen right here at this particular moment? So I have some ideas around that. It's not totally, you know, so I'm not going to totally let that cat out of the bag just yet. But, um, I guess I have served my own selfish reasons for what I want to do and achieve. But then there's also a particular role that I can play within this project. And that is looking at how do we create more visibility? How do we advocate for artists? How do we begin to look at and really invest like interrogate our relationships with with institutions. I mean, maybe on one level, this is a very, we can say, oh, it's just like art institutions, but even symbolically on a bigger level, whether it's government, whether what those might be. So what, on my own part, what am I asking of these different places, right? Where, where does my project take place? And what am I asking of that place? And what kind of relationship moving forward am I, I look, am I looking to? And am, am I calling upon? So those are things that are really going through my mind, but absolutely wanting to bring together a specific community here and then activate another community here to kind of have open spaces, create discussion. And then hopefully that as we move forward, each project may be happening at different points leading up to the exhibition in October. And so in their own sort of isolation, meeting their own specific local needs. But as we move forward, each project will begin to speak with each other as well. And there'll be sort of these other um, discussions that come through. So I, I see my part as being, well, who are, who are these other cultural people in the arts who need to be called upon to do their part as well? So, you know, there's different, different ways that we can, um, it's another kind of role but um, something I feel very, you know, very um, need to do my part. So <laughs> thank you. And um, Tanya, you kind of hold the middle ground as far as um, you've done work curatorially and then also as artist. And can you just retouch on how, how this fusion feels for you? I know fusion is such a cheesy word, but <laughs> how this blending of worlds. All over the place. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think what attracts me also and interests me about the project is this kind of a, Cheryl LaRondell uses this term uh, radically inclusive. And that I think like we're approaching this in such a collaborative and equitable kind of model or attempting to do that. Um, I always like to phrase things by like, that's what I'm attempting to do. I don't know. I don't know if I'm always, you know, successful. And, you know, it allows some uh, room for disagreement. So even the idea of, uh, of community, right? Like I, now I live like right in my reserve community or whatever and within the Sukhamahulu uh, nation. And then now I'm now I'm all of a sudden going like, oh, you know, I can talk about all this stuff in the art world or whatever, but like holding people accountable, where is the room for like artistic inquiry and programming and commitment in our, like from chief and council or from, you know, and that there's, there's problems or uh, maybe it's not a problem. Maybe it's like there's education to do there uh, in terms of valuing. So 
often I'm thinking of sort of systems of valuing, but approaching it in this way where I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to be just the artist or just the curator allows me to think in a kind of frenetic way, which, which helps me when I'm trying to think through a project like this. So, uh, you know, certainly a curatorial kind of uh, lens to the project helps me to, to understand what I can offer more as an artist. I think I'm drawn to working collaboratively. Um, this experience I mentioned before, working with uh, Redwire, which was a national Aboriginal youth publication. After that, I struggled a bit in terms of like, I can only take myself so seriously or like what I'm creating so seriously. And then, you know, I think maybe, maybe this is a blanket statement, but as women, sometimes we are humble in what we do. And that's why a guy who doesn't mind, you know, posing and being like, yeah, this is what I do. I'm going to get on the front page, you know, that, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a, you know, as maybe stereotypical and maybe, but there's a sense of, I like to hold up other work and what's, and it shouldn't devalue what I'm doing. And I think that's what we're doing in this project. We're holding up each other, you know, and saying, look at this great work my sisters are doing. Look at this great work my relatives are doing. Look at this work that we're doing inevitably together and that we can hold each other up without waiting one more than the other. And that's this kind of, I hope, this kind of inclusion that allows some meaningful voice through, where in other venues that are more weighted, certain kinds of voices you know, will will surface and other voices won't be heard. And I'm, I'm hoping that through art as a tool, through online kinds of uh, things as a tool, through various communities and geographies, that that will mean that we have a more equal or a more, you know, and unity is not the right word, but that I think we, we're creating these connections, right? I talked earlier about connections. We talked about that call and response being it's not a one-way conversation. We're calling for responsibility. We're calling for action. We're trying to do, you know, we're trying to be responsible and trying to, like, be active ourselves. And it's this reciprocity and this uh, sharing and this feeding each other that I think, you know, is helping to kind of um, orbit the project and create a space where, uh, we can feel that we can offer those things without without them being taken from us, or we can make an offering without it being, you know, given to the wrong space, or we can make an offering without, you know, being afraid it'll be rejected. Like that, there's a space that we can we can make offerings and we can feed hmm. <laughs> in some way, and they can work together. <laughs> I should say more practically, I'm working with this film. <laughs> I'm working with this film by uh, Harlan Smith. He was um, part of the Jessup expedition, worked with Franz Boas, uh, a very kind of ethnographic-based uh, film. Uh, he he filmed a number of uh, nations throughout um, British Columbia. So one of them was my own, the Sukhumak Nation, uh, the Shushwap Indians of BC. It's a silent film. Uh, I came across it doing some kind of research in the Museum of History, previously the Museum of Civilization. And I'm working with the film because I'm interested in this idea that, first of all, it's an early uh, filmic recording of the Sukhumak Nation or around here in general. There's not a lot of other filmic kind of documentary, although it's completely constructed. And it's interesting because the, the museum also holds uh, the fawns for Harlan Smith. So I have his you know, his handwritten notes of edits. And um, there are some parts of the film that I have sort of partial edits of, and I'm interested in working with those to think about the construction of that. Mm. That what I'm interested in about that film is uh, 
you know, that it's functioning as this silent film, so part of the technology of the time, right? There's no sound in the film, but when we then think about the kinds of silence uh, experienced at residential school, and we think about the amazing learning that's happening in our community now around relearning Indigenous languages, I like, I'm interested in seeing them in sort of contrast and in and in bringing them together in some way. And so I'm working with this film. I'm thinking, uh, you know, similarly um, to other projects about non-human publics as well, about what does it mean to show the film to the land itself? You know, when I think about like in Shohamakshin, our language, when you talk about a school, it's actually really, like in terms of etymology, it's really referring to the building. And when we think about that, that this learning, these knowledges took us, outside of the knowledge of the land and the spirituality of the land and put us in this architecture space, this building, you know, and then had a, had a certain kind of then faith delivered through this building, you know, so that idea of the land is not quite as abstract as we might think it is or philosophical. It's also really a, a practical kind of, you know, separation that existed um, through residential school. So, I'm working with this film. I'm working with ideas of language, reclamation, uh, and I'm going to do something amazing with it. <laughs> but I think, you know, in in concert or in reciprocity with um, with our conversations, it's it's both like made it I, this weight or not the weight, this like everybody's doing such great work. So it's like now I've thought even more carefully about what I might offer through this project and trying to wait, find ways to make it um, meaningful and trying to also make room for intuition to like do its thing and figure it's, you know, for, uh, you know, what is it, uh, the instinct for salmon to find their way home, right? That's, uh, I'm, I'm thinking a lot that trying to, sometimes it's really all hard to offer that space because I'm like deadlines and this and that, but I kind of need to make room for something organic uh, to happen and for, to trust. I think you talked about Maria, to trust in, what you have, the tools you have, that kind of thing to make your way through. How can listeners stay connected to the Call Response Project? And is there any information or resource you can offer right now for the listeners? Let's start with you, Tara. Sure, yeah. The project is multi-platform for sure. So we have social media accounts on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, along with our website, which is callresponseart.ca. So the website right now is a landing page that includes uh, sort of the general description of the project and links to the to all the artists' websites. And over time, as the projects unfold, the website will sort of get populated with more material, as will social media. But you'll already find on our Twitter account, for example, which is at callresponseus. 
that we've been posting some images and um, clips from Ursula and uh, Cheryl's performance, for example, some photos that that Maria took, but also I've been pulling a lot of different articles from online or retweeting things that people have been talking about that are relevant to the project. And we're really hoping that as the process unfolds that people will use the hashtag, whether to sort of pose their own questions about about the project or about the role of Indigenous women in reconciliation or their personal thoughts on reconciliation or on Indigenous feminisms, cultural resurgence, any, any of these topics that come out of the project, that they'll add their own voices to, to that conversation. I think that does that cover it, ladies, for that element? <laughs> <laughs> any other any other input from um, you, Maria or Tanya, about connecting into call response? I think Tara encapsulated most yeah, of the sort it of felt like, like she did really. immediate um, connections. But just that the project is also one of um, is it six other projects selected under this particular fund and who are all doing quite amazing work. And certainly people could also check that out at the Canada Council website, which there's a link on our website as well, I believe, that where people can look at some of those other projects. Because what's great is that we have this um, these ideas and this work going on in our project, but there's a, there's a number of other ones as well. And certainly ones that are funded outside of that uh, as well. And I think we can offer some of that in the bibliography for people if they want to do further readings or um, are interested in other works that people are doing. And just uh, like a big thank you to everyone um, for this work so far and to you for giving us uh, a chance to, to talk through the project. I think every time I have a larger conversation, I get you know, different uh, ideas about what we're even doing. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, you start out with a sort of uh, position and, and what's great about this project is we are allowing ourselves room to to think and uh, grow and experience and be inspired by each other and other works at the same time. Maria, do you have anything to add on that note? Well, I feel like there's still so much more I want to say. I know. Well, luckily, <laughs> everybody's going to have an hour-long interview just you and me and we can dive in deep so don't worry yeah well I I guess I want to just add that with call response it's really it's important to not think of it as a group of native women performing what it means to be native women I think it's very important that you know it's recognized that we are native women and we're just doing what we're doing, right? So it's not an act. And it's not to to speak for everything or define everything. So in that kind of conversation, um, having, having a project where there's collaboration, our, our approach from the onset, I think that's super key to um, this idea of a collective enterprise. And it's the collective enterprise is one way and how we can sustain our identities, you know, through each other. So I think that that's, you know, mm. something else I wanted to add. Can um, I have one more thing that just came to me? <laughs> yeah, is that, yeah. um, from working with a um, uh, friend and artist, Peter Morin, uh, we work with the hashtag in other ways, previous uh, or just in different ways we'd work with it and through art. And one of the things I loved about um, uh, Peter looking at the hashtag and saying, well, it's not just a hashtag, it's the beginning of a basket. 
mm-hmm. um, because when you're <laughs> laying out your a certain kind of basketry weaving, you start with what looks like a, a hashtag, and then you start to develop strands, which then um, pull those four starting strands um, together. And so I like I like to think of the hashtag now as that. like to try to end this podcast on kind of a a reflective note of sorts and I know that this one's complicated because it's dealing with a specific project but I'll start with Maria and asking this and uh, maybe you all can flow into each other what do you hope to experience through this project personally and socially (laughs) (laughs) what do I hope to experience you know, I think with the projects that I do, I'm really just looking to work with some good people and have a great time. I guess that I, I can't say that I have a specific expectation going in. You know, it's like the beginning of a journey. You know, you kind of know that there's a sort of intention, but it's being open to it. And knowing myself and who I am in the world and in being open to it, that it's going to take me different places and maybe places I'm totally not prepared for, but that I'm going to like soak back in and come out stronger through the other end of it. I think that's, you know, and you have a good team when you do that, you're going to, it's going to take you really good places. And that, that's a a range of things, you know, the, the personal with my own family history and always, no matter where I am, being very much aware of who I am, where I am, how I got to where I am, and a responsibility that goes with it, you know, that I didn't just pop out of nowhere. There's all this stuff that's gone into it along Hmm. the way. You know, if I think of my own goals, I just want to do a really good job. I want to show myself in the best way I can that I'm a professional artist. I'm serious about what I do. And that's what, having said that, I think the nature of these projects, there is another kind of preparation that needs to go into it. And that's thinking about in looking at the legacy of trauma like this, there's another kind of emotional accountability and responsibility to the audience as well. So, that's another part of that conversation that between us and looking forward to what the, what happens in these communities is kind of that's one thing but then what happens in the gallery right and how can we best prepare for that how do we represent some of these ideas you know we're dealing with a lot of heavy topics so there's going to be a lot of things that we we need to um look at work together on so the magic of this show though I think is really going to happen in October when all the artists are together you know just getting us together and being like oh look what we've done look what we've been doing look here we are and I think that that's going to be something that 
will be amazing. The show may travel. It looks like it, there's a good chance that that will happen. So there's other um, ways of thinking of how that show moves forward and the life it has, the different iterations. And then, of course, how this will impact not only, I guess, the political, but then also in the arts, the visual arts. But I feel like they're always late catching up. They're late catching up on <laughs> all these things that Native people do already. Um, social engagement. They're like, we just discovered. We just discovered performance. We just, like, yeah, well, that's been happening for, you know, since time immemorial. So I think there's some, some good models you know, how we want to be seen, that we can put out there, how we want to work, who we want to work with. And I'm saying we, but maybe I'm saying me. <laughs> that there's different models out there. And that, that's exciting. Tanya, what do you hope to experience through this project personally and or socially? I don't think I have to hope to experience anything. I think I am. I'm currently experiencing great connections. Like, Ginger, it's great to meet you. I follow your your work and your partner's work. You know, I follow Maria and Tara's work and uh, all the other artists involved in the project. Um, I have no hopes because I have, like, a practical, like, I am experiencing it. I know their work. I suppose hope comes into I'm hoping and trusting that we can deal with some of this experience and trauma and narrative and voice in a way that is responsible, is accountable, but that also isn't cemented and that it allows us um, creativity, creative license and risk, uh, and that we can move through that uh, in ways that you know, they might not, it might not be traditional protocol. It might not be what normally happens in the gallery space like that we're, I hope and I trust that we can be empowered um, to do that work in a way that is sensitive, but doesn't, that isn't necessarily risk-free or isn't necessarily going to just be um, digestible, but that, that we're being sensitive to, to what we're doing. And I know that we are, but I, I guess I trust and I hope that other people can understand or can have entry points into what we're doing because we're doing this work because we want to because sh- we want to share it. So I'm I'm hoping and trusting that people will will hear our call and will provide some. Oh, that was such a good smooth transition, right? <laughs> hear our call and provide a response. You know, that that reciprocity and that collaborative um, and that radical kind of inclusion is something we're looking for in the project. And so we can't define that in the same way I can know what I, you know, what eventually I'm going to create for the show. But what we can't control is how people will see that. And so I have to trust and hope in that process. Thank you. And um, Tara, do you have any insights? I mean... How can I follow up these badass women? Because <laughs> you are badass. I mean, for me, you know, what both Tanya and Maria said just rings so true. We're, we're already in this experience and it is providing so much connection and, and learning and, and, reciprocity for me I think the the hope the hope and for me the hope is kind of like the unknown in in the whole situation 
is in terms of how the project will be not, not received, but I'm, I am hoping and also believing that we're setting things up in the right way so that people will be receptive to the project and will be willing to engage with the material and with the artists. You know, I hope that we create a dialogue, a groundswell through social media and locally through the projects and locally in Vancouver when the exhibition is happening. And I mean, I know just being here in Vancouver, there's a lot of other dialogues that are, that are happening um, at the same time that are, that have points of synchronicity with what, what we're doing. So we're hoping for larger connections beyond our project. You know, I'm thinking of like the rematriate collective and this group of, of women that are, that have this amazing social media campaign where they're, that where they're taking back representation for themselves. Mm-hmm. And those are some people that were, that we're hoping and will probably probably work with, but I just I hope that we're successful in in building upon what has come before us and and adding something something new to the dialogue as well or another nuance uh, another nuance to things I guess so and yeah and we're badass so we're totally gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so important to me that we're you know I just can't emphasize enough like that. Our artists, you know, just doing a really good job to demonstrate that, you know, we're capable, we're cultural innovators, and we're valuable, and we have something to offer, you know, and it's not something from yesterday, it's something right now, very real, very tangible, and you want to be a part of that, then let's do it, you know, if you're serious, you then show us the money, let's, let's go there, let's take it all the way. You know, I'm not interested in empty apologies. I'm interested in in real, tangible change and connections and valuing and being stronger for it. I just want to say thank you for giving us an opportunity to talk collectively like this and to have someone else. I mean, Maria has been part of a dialogue in Toronto now, but mostly it's been the three of us chatting. And so to have a really, you know, concentrated two and a half hours to have this dialogue is really good because the process is so much a part of this project and to be able to go through that process in, in dialogue like this is so, so great. So thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> thank you for being so open to it and working with us on it. And I just got to say, like the whole plot, like the whole project you're doing just looks so good. Mm-hmm. And thank you. You know, I know there's other things going on out there around artist profiles, but this is just, you know, it's so, I remember being a student and being so much in isolation mm-hmm. and being like, yeah, oh, I'm the sure. only student in this art program. <laughs> and then now it's like, no, you take us right there. And that's so Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Thank you.
and them rivers can run leaks spring up tailings come undone and grandfathers watch the young ones die well water catches flame water catches flame water catches flame my oh my hey hey Save them before all is dead and done. Hey, hey.